So we just want to, if, if you're in that area, if you would like to gather around her, I just want to say a, a prayer uh, for Don, who's having a, a, her knee replaced, and uh, it'll be a big, big deal tomorrow for her. And uh, we just want to lift that up in prayer. So if you're close by, if you want to gather around her there and, and care for her, I want to go ahead and have a prayer for her now. So thank you, guys. Father, we just lift up Don, and we just ask, Lord, tomorrow morning that your, your hand w- would already go before. Lord, that your, your, your grace and your mercy and, and uh, strength and all that is needed for Don tomorrow would already go before you. Lord, she's already uh, confessed this morning some anxiety towards it. Lord, so would you speak into that? Speak into her worry and her, her fear, and would you comfort and be close to her? Lord, I pray for uh, all that the surgery entails from the doctors and anyone involved. You would give them all the wisdom and, and skill that they have that you have bestowed on them, and they would work that into that surgery. Lord, I know that the hardest time will be the follow-up for her and, and being trying to be mobile and rehabbing. And so, Lord, uh, would you, would you uh, care for her during that time? Would you call on us to be a blessing to her as well in, in whatever way you would, you would have us? We pray this all in your son's name. Amen. All right. So I'll keep you updated on, on that uh, as she goes through with that surgery. Hey, if you got in here today and you didn't get your sermon notes, if you uh, want to slip up your hand, uh, Mike is back there and he'd love to run you a copy and make sure you have one of these. There's actually a lot of notes in here for us to work through and for some for you to just have on your own in your, your private devotion time. Uh, as well would be great. So this week and next week, it's, it's a little two-parter, but not quite a continuous two-parter. The overall theme and concepts are the same. Two different, actually two different characters in God's Word. And these will be a little unique because instead of walking you through the whole story of these characters that you may already be familiar with, I'm actually going to just set the context and the beginning of both of these stories. And I am calling on you right now to read the rest of the story on your own. So as we talk through Gideon today, I want to encourage you, where I end, you pick up and go during the week. You're all uh, solid, capable readers, or even listeners, if, you, if you'd like to you know, follow Scripture listening. And so I, I'd encourage you, follow the story. Because if you only catch what we're talking about this morning, it's just an ounce of all that God spoke into these characters. In fact, this morning as we jump into the story of Gideon, all that you might know of Gideon's story, of the warrior, of the 300, uh, of the battle, you're not going to hear us talk about this morning. It's, it's just the beginning, the context. So where I end in Judges chapter 7 verse 1, I'm calling on you seven verse two, or chapter 7 verse 2 to pick it up and continue on your own. At very least, track yourself through chapter 7 this week during your devotion time. Now, you might say this morning, Tom, I don't even know what you mean when you say devotion time. I have no idea how to do that. That's totally foreign to me. So let me tell you, just open God's Word. Pray for a couple seconds. Say, Lord, just speak to me through your Word. Then start reading. I'm giving you the passage, Judges chapter 7, to work through and work through it. And then as you end reading, ask yourself, God, is there anything in what I just read that you'd like to speak to me about today? And God has this way of transforming even an Old Testament story into relevant information for your life today. And you'll find in just that very short time, if you've never done devotions, it might take you three or four minutes. But if you've never done it, 
you'll, you'll see an impact in your life if you put that into your daily practice. So I encourage you to uh, do that and, and start getting into that this week. So uh, we're asking the question about making an impact. A couple weeks ago, or maybe it was last week, I think, I actually sat down for the first time since college, and I said, I'm going to watch this, like, movie award thing, this Oscar stuff. I'm going to I'm actually watch this tonight and see who wins what. And um, I was a little lost in even who was nominated and who was who and that kind of stuff. So I'm going to sit down and watch this. I was, I was researching and studying for the sermon as it was. And so that was on there. And I was on the couch here. And, and I was somewhat interacting with the TV. And I discovered something early. And you may already know this. And I was a little bit naive coming into this. But the 45-second speech after the award is won by whoever wins the award is some pretty far-out-there stuff. Uh, it's pretty amazing. It, it ran the gamut of issues that you could actually think of in our culture, social issues and, and environmental issues, and, and on and on and on. Um, each person discussing for 45 minutes— what they thought was the most relevant and most significant thing happening on our planet today. And and they were passionate about it. They believed it, and they walked through it. And then the music started playing. That was the tone. That was kind of the uh, cue to wrap it up, get off the stage. Your time is done. Thank you very much for for what you did, but you're done. Um, And some would even push past that a little bit because what they were saying was just so important to them. They needed to get this issue out, and they shared it. And here's what I was thinking as I'm watching this. As I watch it, well, after I was going like, hmm, <laughs> um, I thought, what if we had 45 seconds to address the millions? Uh, the millions that were watching, I, I think, would watch an award show like that. If you had 45 seconds to address it, it doesn't matter if it had anything to do with the award that you won or not. You had 45 seconds on the stage to address what you thought was the most significant issue in our world, what would it be? And would Jesus have anything to do with it if you had that? You see, I would have guessed that maybe if somebody had got up there and the first thing they said was the most significant thing facing our planet today is that millions of people do not know Jesus Christ as their personal Savior— I would imagine that may have not been received super well uh, at that awards ceremony that night. I don't know. Nobody did it, but but that's just my imagination on that. What would your 45 seconds look like? You see, every Christian I've ever met, I believe in their heart, or, or at least I've heard it in their words at time, none of us don't want to make some impact in our world. Some impact somewhere we would like to make. And so we have to ask ourselves, what impact are we making? What do our words, or maybe more importantly for us, what do our actions signify when it comes to that issue of impact? And so I want to walk through this first chapter of the story of Gideon, starting in chapter 6 of the book of Judges. And I realize that if you're in the first three rows, you're going to really be able to track with our screen this morning. And if you're beyond that, you know, it'll really probably depend on your eyesight and, and those type of things. And if you happen to stow away binoculars uh, for, for this morning. But, uh, but do the best. I will, I will not read every uh, verse as it's 41 total verses this morning. But you'll be able to follow some of it on the screen. And I'll walk you through the rest of it. Making an impact. 
Here's what I believe about every single one of us that claim Jesus Christ. At some point in your life, God spoke into your life in such a way that you were ready to say, I'm following that. That's the way I'm going in my life. I'm accept Jesus Christ as my Savior. I, I'm going to walk this direction for the rest of my life. And yet for so many of us believers, we tend to have kind of strayed from that path. We didn't stray in the sense that we said, I deny God. I don't want to have anything to do with them or Jesus. Don't even speak the name or anything like that. But we just kind of lost track of whatever that impact God had put on our life and whatever it was he was calling us to do with that decision. And we've kind of wavered or gotten off track here or there. And this is what we find that we live. We live our day-to-day life. We go to our job. We pay our bills for the most part. (laughs) We have some interaction with our kids. We put them in activities, uh, baseball and whatnot, and do these things. We run like crazy because our schedule is always so jam-packed. We go, 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 go in these type of things, and we try, and I think we try hard. We try to slip Jesus in where we can slip him in to everything else that's going on in our life. And all the time we knew at the very beginning when we made that connected to Jesus, we would have never described that this is what I would like my commitment to Jesus to look like. And so because of that, we quit making an impact on other people's lives. We quit making an impact in our world, on our neighbors, on people at work, on people we encounter. And because of that, I'm not so sure if the knee jerk of our heart if we had 45 seconds to speak to the world, if the knee-jerk of our heart would display the passion we have for Jesus Christ. So this morning, I want to just walk through these things, these five keys, I think, that come from this story on how we can make an impact in our world. For some of it, it'll be kind of like reminding yourself and rehashing what God has already been doing in your life. For others of you, you're like, man, that's my step I've got to get on to right now and move forward in this at this juncture. Because this I know from Scripture, Philippians 1, 6, and I'm certain that God, who began a good work within you, will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day of Christ Jesus returns. Do you know what that means? The work God started in you, he is more than willing and faithful and has the authority to continue it. You and I are the only ones that can step off that work. We're the only ones that can sabotage that work. God is more than willing to carry out that work all the way to the end of our days or to the day of Christ Jesus, it says. So let's take a look at this passage. If you have your Bible, Judges chapter 6, we're going to look at at this, the first chapter that talks about uh, Gideon. It says this in chapter 6, starting in verse 1. The Israelites did evil in the Lord's sight, so the Lord handed them over to the Midianites for seven years. Now, this is a familiar theme. If you're one that you're like, man, I really like reading the Old Testament. I love reading Judges. I love reading about the kingdoms. You're going to recognize this pattern over and over in Scripture. These times where the beginning of the chapter starts this way, the Israelites did evil. In fact, many times it actually says it this way in Scripture— Once again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. So we see this pattern happens often, and it starts in this story as well. And we find that 
the Lord seems to be, God seems to be the one who often allows whatever suffering is going to come with their disobedience. And here we find the same thing. The Lord handed them over to the Midianites. Now, you may not know much about the Midianites, but they had been a very nomadic type of people. They just traveled from one place to another, and they just kept moving around with their herds. But now's a time where they're actually starting to settle in camps, and they're becoming cities. And because of that, they're actually starting to kind of mingle in with the Israelites in this particular location here as well. Now, you might say, well, that's not such a bad thing, is it? Well, the problem here was that the Midianites also brought with them worshiping, worshiping of the prophets of Baal, worshiping of the Asherah pole, which are kind of gods of fertility and gods of life that they would worship. And because of that, we find that there's kind of this uh, syncretism going on. If you're familiar with the word, it means it's like these blending of the two faiths. So the Israelites could keep talking about God and the commandments and the law and all this like they were following it. But at the same time, they had these Asherah poles erected around their countryside and in, in their, their tents and areas. And they would worship these as well. So it's this blending of the two. It would be like you as a, as a Christian, as a believer in God's word, but you feel compelled to wake up every morning to read your horoscope to see what your day might look like. Syncretism. Those things don't go together as far as God's word. And that's what is going on. That's why the Midianites settling in the Israelites' land is a big, big deal. Well, we find it goes a step further. Because the Midianites now got the upper hand. Verse 2, the Midianites were so cruel that the Israelites made hidden places for themselves in the mountains, caves, and strongholds. And they are hiding out now to get away from the Midianites. Whenever the Israelites planted their crops, marauders from Midian, Amalek, and the people of the east would come attack Israel, camping in the land and destroying crops. So now they couldn't even get their crops planted to feed themselves or crops planted to to trade so that they could get all their other goods because these Midianites and Amalekites, they're coming in and they're attacking and they're destroying the crops as well. This is not a good time. I mean, could you picture living in that type of day where you're hiding in a cave and you're trying to somehow sneak your crops into the ground and grow them up So that you can have some food for your family. These have been very large families. Your family or maybe enough grain that you could trade to get something else that you needed. And this was a problem. So what happened? After seven years, verse 7. When they cried out to the Lord because of Midian, the Lord sent the prophet to the Israelites. So they finally cry out. Now I don't know about you, but it seems like. That if I had to endure that one time, I would have cried out to the Lord. I would have repented. I would have said, Lord, this is horrible. What, you know, what I was doing wrong, I'll never do that again. Please rescue us. But we recognize it takes seven years. Now you might say, wow, seven years, that's a long time for them to do it. We actually have another passage in the book of, of Judges where they were actually subject and slave, Judges chapter 3, for 38 years before they cried out to God. It seems like sometimes there's something hard-headed in us that we can't just stop and say, I need God. I need to repent of my ways and cry out to God 
for his mercy and help and his protection. So they did it finally. In verse 8, he sent them this prophet, and this is an unnamed prophet here. And this is what the prophet says to them starting at the end of verse 8. This is what the Lord of Israel says. I brought you out of slavery in Egypt. I rescued you from the Egyptians and from all who oppressed you. I drove out your enemies and gave you land. I told you, I am the Lord your God. You must not worship the God of the Amorites, in whose land you now live, but you have not listened to me. I mean, I don't know what you think about that passage, but it's like, I mean, we're oppressed. We're in horrible conditions, horrible situations for seven years now. We're crying out to you, God. And God's kind of like, yeah, let me, tell you what, let me tell you what you did wrong. Let me tell you what I did. And let me rehash what you've done wrong here. Uh, Almost like a kicking them while they're down type of feeling. But it was so important for God to remind them, this is what I've done for you. And because of what I did, this is why I did not want you worshiping other gods. Because you lose sight and you forget of what, what God did. It's amazing to me that so often those who don't know Jesus Christ in our world... A tragedy comes into their life. A marriage breaks down entirely. A death in the family. Some terrible situation. And I find them drawing to the Lord. They they go search for meaning somewhere. They they go and they talk to a, a pastor. They show up at a church in these trials in life looking for something. And yet it's odd to me that so often that believers in Jesus Christ, tragedy befalls us. And we slide away from God at times. We don't draw to what's available to us. And we, we move on and we try to either solve it or handle it ourselves. Or we're actually frustrated or angry with God that he could do this or allow this type of thing to us. God always wants to remind us who he is and what he has done. It's why we take communion regularly because it's a reminder of what Jesus did on the cross for us. And so that's their situation. And the angel of the Lord came and, and sat beneath a great tree but that belonged to Joash. Gideon, son of Joash, was threshing wheat at the bottom of the wine press to hide from the Midianites. And the reason he was doing this, he was, he was basically, if you, if you follow this, it's not overly significant to our morning, but he was doing the wheat threshing this way because he was, he was basically trying to do it on the down low and hiding out here so they could get it done and not be destroyed by the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, Mighty hero, the Lord is with you. Now here you are. You've, you've done evil on the Lord's side. You've been handed over to the Midianites. It's been cruel and horrible for seven years. You finally cried out to the Lord. Once you did cry out to the Lord, the Lord spoke and responded. He sent his prophet to speak to you. Now the angel is coming to you. And so what would the first response to be? Here's what we find his response in 13. He says, sir, Gideon replied, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened? Why has it all happened to us? And where are all the miracles our ancestor told us about? Didn't they say the Lord brought us out of Egypt, but now the Lord has abandoned us and handed us over to the Midianites? Now, as you read that, that, does that not sound so similar at times to how we deal with the situations? That, that sometimes we make the poor decisions or we disobey God or we follow our own path or, or we just flat out sin. And the consequences that come from that can be devastating in our life. 
a struggle, hard. And then we say, where is God? Why has God abandoned me, it feels like? Why is God uh, not with me, it feels like? I think at times it's less about sin for us and more about just poor, unwise decisions that the Bible would steer us away from entirely. I think about in my life walking into a timeshare and walking out having purchased a timeshare and gone into significant timeshare debt. Nothing wrong with timeshare. Um, But for me at that point in my life and what it cost us and what it did for us for the next five or six years, I look back and it would have been so easy to say, gosh, I'm dealing with this financial thing every, every month of this timeshare. God, when are you going to deliver us? When are you going to send extra finances our way? And you know what, in the end, what, what happened with all that? Foreclosure. The bank owned our timeshare and took that away. And I feel horrible, stupid, unwise about that. And all the time, God is just saying, well, if you had just followed my biblical principle in the first place, you would have gone in there, you would have got yourself your free steak dinner for sitting through that presentation, and life would have been awesome. You would have sat with your wife at this, you know, Orange Tree Resort and had a great old time, and then you guys would have gone home, and you would have, you know, vacationed at a campground, and it would have been awesome for your family. But that's not, that's not the way the story played out. Let me share a verse with you. In Proverbs chapter 19, verse 3, this might blow your mind if you don't know this one. It says in Proverbs, people ruin their lives by their own foolishness and then are angry at the Lord. So true of us sometimes. So we find that's the situation. Now what's going to happen? Things are going to shift in this first chapter because we're going to find in chapter 6 of Gideon's life here that God's going to call him to do something. He's already called him a mighty warrior here. And in verse 14, Gideon's going to start to respond to this phrase. Now, up till now, uh, we've been talking about the people, the Israelites, and, and where they're at, their disobedience, and, and where they're at in their life. And they're basically, they're basically kind of lost. God is still their God. He is still calling them. He still loves them. He still even calls them his children. But they're not tracking with God. They're not following God. And so therefore, they're not experiencing what God would have to offer their lives on a daily basis as he set out for them uh, in the law. And so when I look at this, I start to think about where we are as a congregation. And I was chatting with a friend. He's a, a former pastor, and now he's doing kind of a church plant kind of thing, kind of something different. And as we were discussing this, he was talking a lot about, you know, the church is a— uh, the, the church is really struggling with, like, sending people, helping people go out into the world. And, and it seems like, in his view, that they, they more just want to gather or draw people to the church. And, like, we talked about inviting. You have invite cards and things like that, or, or, or events or things like that. And it dawned on me as we were talking that I was saying, man, maybe he's, maybe he's looking at being inside or outside of building as the determining factor is what the word go means. And I thought, as I was working this sermon together and staring at the osters in the background, I said, you know what? The church itself is a going power. We, the church, the Windover Hills, this local church, the other church that meets down the street, up the street, the church is a going power. Meaning that our job and our mission, everything that we do, we are called 
to go, to be a going organization. Sometimes that means you personally, individually need to go into your neighborhood, into your jobs, and you need to share God's word. You need to impact people's life. You need to speak into their lives. You just need to be there when life falls apart, and you can be the shoulder for them. But it's also true that corporately, we're a going power. We're a sending power. And that together, when we gather on Sunday mornings, we're encouraging each other, we're lifting each other up, we're impacting each other, and we're calling and challenging each other to be active with more than just coming and getting what I just think I need here. And so when I look at that and I start thinking about the rest of this story that we're about to walk through, I can see Gideon being set up for him personally to be a a going agent for God. But then as you read chapter 7 on your own next week, you'll see how this this number 300 is significant and part of the, the going group as well. Let's jump in what I'm talking about. Five keys to making an impact in your world. The first thing that we need to do that we find with Gideon here is you got to hear God's calling. We find in verse 14, it says, then the Lord turned to him and he says, go with the strength you have and rescue Israel from the Midianites. I am sending you. If he, if he says it that way, there is no doubt that Gideon is hearing, God is speaking to me direct, and he is sending me direct. In fact, God even states the purpose here. He says, you're going to rescue Israel from the Midianites. I'm sending you. I'm calling you. I remember in high school, it was in uh, 11th grade. I was 17 years old. I don't know, I've probably told you this in the past, but I was sitting in the classroom one day, just sitting in math class, and I'd become a Christian about nine months prior, and the, the phrase just came into my head. It was, you ought to go into the full-time ministry. And I said, okay. And that was it. I mean, that was the dramatic call. Uh, there weren't any fireworks or anything like that. It was just, that was it. Um, and God called into the, I have no doubt God called at that moment. Many of you could stand and share stories as well. It may not be like pastoral ministry or full-time pastoral ministry, but you say, you know, God called me into this profession, and he called me into it to share his word. God called me into this ministry I do on Friday nights. He called me into this Bible study uh, I've launched at my work. He's called me on and on and on. He has called me. I believe as a church, God has called us to advance the kingdom, and he's called us to share the good news of Jesus Christ as a church and as individuals that go out from the church. Mark 16, 15 says this, and then he told them, go into all the world and preach the good news to everyone. Do you know that our main focus and our key as a church, as a body of believers, is not to take care of our own needs? We have, we've got to do that. We need to be spiritually healthy and sound and solid to be able to go out and accomplish the mission, but it's not our end game. In fact, you studying God's Word and reading God's Word and getting more knowledgeable in God's Word is now not our end game as a church. We've got to do it. You've got to build yourself up. You can't, you can't deny that or you can't be effective in the mission of reaching people for Jesus Christ if you don't stay in God's Word and build yourself up as well. But it's not our end game. It's not our final goal. Our final goal is to reach people for Jesus Christ and to see people become saved through the message that we have to share. Even being cared for ourselves 
is not our final end goal. That we have to be cared for, we have to be loved and built up and taken care of when we're down or broken. But it's not our end game. It's not our final thing that we want to be about. We want to be about the mission of reaching people for Jesus Christ. And can I just tell you to make sure you understand this? Being in a permanent building is not our end game. It's not our ultimate goal. When we get it done and we move in, there'll be celebration, but it'll be like a team celebrating one win and then saying, okay, we're on to the next. What's next? Because it's not our end game. It'll be a great day of celebration, but it's not. The end game is to reach people for Jesus Christ. That's the mission of the kingdom. After we become believers, that's what we're to do, to go share the hope that we have in Jesus Christ with everyone. Can I just invite you right now, just introspective, think to yourself, what part of that mission are you playing currently? Because I'm positive God is calling every single one of us believers to it. And here's the cool thing. It'll look different for every single one of you. How you accomplish the mission uh, in your occupation, in your life, even in your family, if they don't know Christ, is different than my, it might be how, how I, or God has called me to do it. But we're all called the same. And then I think about it as a church, corporately, we're called to go and to reach people for Jesus Christ. And it's why that nearly every Sunday morning, there's something we want to say up front. There's some invitation in some way we want people to know that they have the, the opportunity to say yes for Jesus to come into their life and be the Lord of their life. Gideon's been called, no doubt here. The question is now, Gideon, what are you going to do with the call? You're going to say yes to the call? You're going to say no to the call? Here's what we find out, verse 15. But Lord, Gideon replied, how can I rescue Israel? My clan's the weakest in the whole tribe of Manasseh, and I'm the least in my entire family. How that, how's that for, uh, you know, an excuse right there? I mean, that's your way out, right? Um, I'm the weakest, so I can't really do that. Have you ever, like, set something up with somebody, but you kind of don't really want to do it, and you have cleverly, creatively worked some out, like you throw some offer on the table, and all you need them is to, like, accept the offer, and you're like, I'm out of this, this social engagement, or I'm out of this um, type of thing. I think that that's what Gideon is doing here. He's just throwing something out to God, saying, if I throw it out this way, it's like God will rethink, oh, I didn't think about that, Gideon. Oh, the weak, oh, I didn't do my math very well. Okay, you're, you're off. I'll go on to somebody else. Like, he's throwing this out, thinking that would be the ticket out. When it says the, the, the weakest in the whole tribe. Now, don't think like all the tribes would get together and do big like competitions together to decide who's the strongest and who's the weakest and those type of, of things, you know, like gladiator games or anything. Nothing like that. Usually it just simply meant the smallest, the smallest in numbers. And so they viewed themselves that way. And so he says, and I'm the least in my entire family. Now, this would have changed the emphasis a little bit. So it wasn't like, you know, I, you know I'm just, I'm the shortest in my family. This most likely meant I have the least status in my family. I, I have the least, I just the least status. And it was very status oriented. And I'm, you know, I'm just kind of the least. Do you know that in our family, uh, though I look at Sierra as a 10-year-old, and I would never call her the least in our family of five uh, in any way. Uh, but I think Spring thinks that, the dog. Uh, because if food is being had by the family, Spring will kind of ignore the rest of us, but she will camp out on Sierra's knee 
just staring at her mouth, chewing every bite, waiting, anything. And I think she just, I think Spring just thinks, well, she's the weakest link. She's the one most capable of dropping food in this family. And I'm just going to stay right here and, uh, and get my food. That's what he thought. And here's the Lord's response, verse 16. The Lord said to him, I will be with you, and you will destroy the Midianites as if you were fighting against one man. The second thing we need to understand this morning to make an impact, you got to know what's available to you. you got to know what is available to you. Immediately Gideon, when he heard this, he thought about it in terms of what he humanly could do, period. One guy. And God said, look, I'm going to be with you. I wonder in whatever you're facing this morning, whatever difficulty that you're dealing with, maybe you just got some financial letter in the mail this week and it's kind of devastating news. Maybe you walked into work and they're like, hey, we've got three cuts we're going to make. You might be one of them. We haven't decided. And you're like, what? what's going to happen now? Maybe it's just like husband and wife, you're sitting there going, I don't know, this could be the last week of this because of just the difficulty you're dealing with in a marriage side of things. And what if God just said to you, I'm with you, I'll be with you. Would that be enough for you? Or would you say, yeah, Tom, but... You see, God, his only answer to Gideon here when Gideon said, look, I'm from the smallest tribe... And if we're the smallest tribe, God, you know that we're not getting the same military training that the other tribes are getting. And I'm like, I've got no status. I'm, I'm the least status. God's only response to him here is, I'll be with you. That's my rebuttal statement to you, Gideon. I will be with you, and you will destroy them. And you will fight as if one man. Now, he didn't know how much that'd be true if you read chapter uh, 7 on your own next week. God says, I'll be with you. Would that be enough for you to hear? Could you charge forward if God just said, look, in your marriage, I'll be with you. In that financial situation, I'll be with you. Whatever you're facing, I'll be there. Philippians 4.13 says this, For I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. Can I just tell you, it's one of my favorite verses. It has been for a long, long time. In fact, I think uh, people who grew up in athletics, they love this verse. You see it pop up in, in all, all kinds of athletic events and things like that, or, or athletes that like to put it on. But, but can I tell you that this is the most misquoted verse out there, uh, I would say, or one of the most misquoted verse. Because here's what we mean often when we say this. What we mean is, I can do anything through Christ who gives me strength, in the sense of anything I want to do, any goal I have, anything I want to accomplish, I can do it because Christ is going to strengthen me. That I mean, If I come down and I say, look, I've got a big game today, and um, I really want to win this game. I'm going to work really hard to win this game. Boom. I'm going to accomplish it because I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. This year, and I, and I thought this about my junior or senior year of high school, this year I'm going to actually hit a home run in, in a game. And, you know, I mean, at the time, I was about five foot six. You know, I wasn't nearly the 6'2 or so I am now. But, and I thought for sure, uh, through, uh, through Jesus, Christ strengthening me, I'll hit a home run too, right? Um, it didn't happen. Now, I hit a ton of home runs and wiffle ball in front of my house. I mean, 
It's kind of like a home run king, but never on the baseball field, at least not in that year or so. Because often we say, I have a goal. I created a goal. And now I expect Christ to strengthen my goal so I will accomplish. But if you read the passages, the verses before this, you'll understand very quickly that you know what he's saying? He's saying, look, I've called you to something. I've called you to reach this world for Christ. I've, I've called you to share the good news and to go into the darkest places, to share with the people that are lost. And every time you step forward in my calling, guess what? You can do every ounce of my calling because my strength is with you. I will go with you, Gideon, is what he's saying here. So it's not that God empowers us to match our goals. God empowers us to match his goals, to his calling in our life. It's a great question to ask us if you feel like you're, you just lack the strength to complete this, is to ask clearly, is this God's calling that I'm on? Is that where I'm headed here? You've got to know what's available to you. I'm with you. Well, we move on in this, and we find that Gideon has this, this interaction. I'm going to skip down a little bit where, where later on he realizes that he's actually talking to an angel of the Lord, which, was, which signified in the Old Testament that he was talking to God here. And he's, he's scared here because some people that have talked to God, it hasn't turned out very well to go face to face with God. He's a little worried. God sets him straight in verse 23. He says, it's all right. The Lord replied, You're not, don't be afraid. You're not going to die. We're all okay here. I'm, I'm with you. I'm calling you here. But then verse 25, God says, all right, we're past the calling here. We're past convincing you what's available to you. I'm going to go with you. We're past the raw, raw excitement. Here we go. Let's make something happen. Now I'd like to tell you to do something. Verse 25. The night that the Lord said to Gideon, take the second bull from your father's herd, the one that is seven years old, pull down your father's altar to Baal and cut down the Asherah pole standing beside it. Then build an altar to your Lord, your God, here on the hillside, hilltop sanctuary, laying the stones very carefully. This is the first step. God is saying, here's the first step that you're going to take, Gideon. I want you to go into your dad's area there, your land your dad owns, and tear down that altar to Baal. And then take down that Asherah pole as well. That's that's a big deal. You see, for for the Israelites, where they really struggled sometimes was this, this, they wanted to visually see God at all times. It's not quite how God worked. And so it was much easier for them to bring in the altar of Baal, something that they could worship and see and have tangible in front of him. It was much easier for them to build this, this Asherah pole. It was much easier for them to buy into the, this idea, well, maybe like better life will come if I, if I have this altar here. And, and maybe better fertility will come if we have this Asherah pole, uh, not just for for, you know, like us or our women fertility, be like for the land, maybe all this will come if we have this. And, and we got God over here, but maybe we just need to add all this and we'll just, we'll just, you know, we'll cover it uh, anyway. And we'll just kind of worship them all. And God has said, go tear those down. Go make me the only option to worship. That's the first step. That's a big deal. I mean, could you imagine if it had become just culturally common 
for you to have an altar to Baal and an Asherah pole to worship. Culturally common. And now you're going to walk in and you're going to destroy that. What if God called you today and said, I'd like you to go, um, just like, you know, just take your jackhammer and just go and start taking down the mosque up the road. That would be pretty crazy sounding to us, would it not? To have something like that. If God like, called you to like combat something that might even be culturally acceptable, but you know is not in line with God's word today, would it cause a little bit of a stir? Yeah. Don't look at this like worship of Baal or Asherah as just like some crazy foreign thing that, you know, five or six people were doing, you know, in the middle of the night so nobody saw them. No, in fact, we find that it was Gideon that goes in the middle of the night to destroy these. It had become so commonplace to have these altars and these Asherah poles there. And God says, go take them down. Huge first step. Huge. Once God's called you, and God has convinced you that he is with you, the rah-rah is over. Then God is saying, now go do something with it. And often the very first step is the one that is hardest. When Jesus went to the disciples, and he was calling several of them for the first time, he looked at them, and they were fishermen. That's all they had, a few of them. That was their whole livelihood, their way to make income, and it wasn't like glamorous. And he said, to leave that, Come follow me. And we find in Matthew 4.20, many of you have it on your shirts if you have your all-in shirt today. And they left their nets at once and followed him. How's that for a first step? Huge. Some of you made, when we, we think about this building, we, we started talking about the calling. Us feeling like we are called now to a permanent home. And the Lord provided this land on Windover. Seven acres, $150,000. Crazy price for that land. And then we started to design a building. We felt the calling. And we had a 100% vote on purchasing the land. We went 98 to 2 on our vote to put in the facility that we had kind of designed on the lot, the way it kind of looked. And in talking with the two no's on that, uh, we come to find out even the two no's were, well, I'm not quite sure that building's big enough for us. So we felt fully called, heading in that direction. And when we talked and we walked through our six-week program, we talked about how we felt God's word was speaking to us about how he would empower us and he was with us and how he would multiply our sacrifice, whether it be in time, effort, or in actual dollars, that he would, he would multiply that and he was with us in this journey. But then it actually came time for a first step, did it not, on the building? There's actually became a time where from a financial perspective, we said we're doing pledges and we're doing one-time gifts. And that was a huge step for a, a church our size to take that on, to have 222000 worth of pledges come in over a three-year period. That's a big deal for a church our size. To have 80000 come in on really one night, that was a big, big deal for a church our size, it was taking the first step, and it was a big one. It's a big one for us. And for those that were involved in that first step, for those who said we were called, we felt God was with us, he was speaking to us, and I took that first step, you'd be commended. That's always the process God leads us on when he's driving us to something 
when he's calling us to something. But sometimes it's really hard, as it was for Gideon here. It leads immediately to the next one, that once we start taking the first step and we walk down that road, guess what comes? Verse 30, when they found out about what Gideon had done, some men of the town said this. They said, bring out your son, the men of the town demanded to Joash. He must die for destroying the the altar of Baal and cutting down the Asherah pole. Death. I mean, they were not happy about what had happened here. I mean, they, they were Israelites too, right? I mean, could not they have said, finally, somebody that stood for God here and took these down. We will now just worship God. Not their response at all. They were calling for his head here. You got to know that in life, you're going to expect obstacles or even opposition. Just expect it. It's coming your way. Irma Hansen, the day we launched our capital campaign in Phoenix when we built our church, and we talked about hardships that Sunday. For about half the sermon, our pastor talked about it. And she went out in the parking lot, and her tire was flat. She was about 86 years old. And I remember her coming in, I overheard her saying to the pastor, like, that soon? Uh, Hardships are going to come. Obstacles are going to come. Opposition is even going to come when you're doing something for God, when you're on a mission to reach people for Jesus Christ, opposition is going to come your way or obstacles are going to come your way. We get this great word of hope in the book of Romans chapter 8 verse 28. And we know that God causes everything to work together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. We love to quote the beginning part of that verse. It's all going to work out for good. It's what God says. He's got some conditions in there. If we love him, if we're called, we are, for his purpose, he's going to empower us. He's going to cause it to work for good. I don't know about you, but I've never quite seen a plan that God calls me on that I kind of said, well, I think it'll go this way, that it perfectly went that way. But God's plan, as he works it, he seems to complete the plan if it's from him. And he often uses me in ways I didn't even think he would use me. And he builds me up. He gives me even skill sets in the end that I never even thought he might put as part of that journey that we're on. That's what obstacles and opposition can even do for us. Can I be honest with you in the building thing? I was hoping we'd break ground in October. And uh, I looked on my calendar. I don't know about yours, but it's like March. And that's a few months later than than what we wanted to do. And even though uh, we're at the position where the the permitting is all done and and the bids are out right now to get uh, a pricing, uh, we recently are in a position with our WIF when we sent in the preliminary stuff that they said, you know, hey, really, to work this frugal system, this this plan that you've wanted to work, you need to probably find a way to cut about 70,000 off the project. In fact, the men on Wednesday nights have been praying that direction, that the Lord would shave 70000 or that somebody would walk in and say, hey, i got a 70000 check for you this morning. I mean, one that's actually good. So, <laughs> and so we've been praying that direction that the Lord would work. Uh, in reality, most construction projects seems to go the other way when those type of things come in. As we were finishing up the final plans, which, which we hope to actually this week for you all to have your own copy of 
so you can see what we're talking about. Um, we actually worked on that, trying to cut the finances here and there in different areas uh, towards that. And we've been praying that direction. Right now, the, the bids are out for all, all the stuff that it's in, involved in the process. And that's the direction we're praying. Because your board said, this was our financial plan to walk through this way. And to say, well, we'll just tack on a little bit more. It'll be okay in the end. Uh, it just, it's just probably not sitting well with your board. And so we want to keep walking the financial plan that we presented to you when we voted. We want to keep walking that same financial plan the whole path. And so that's where we are. Is that an obstacle? I guess it's an obstacle because, you know, it had been easy, easier just to, for them to say, yep, take it, you're good, you can afford it, you're fine to go. Um, but does that shut us down? I don't know. Not, I haven't lost any sleep over it. I hope you don't as well. Um, the, the Lord will provide in this way, the way he's been providing up till now, and we'll keep whopping, walking forward despite that because we believe that God has called us He's called us into the building according to his purpose. And so he'll cause these things to work together for our good as well. I wonder in your life, if you're facing like tremendous obstacle or opposition for what God has called you to personally. Maybe speaking to a family member about Jesus Christ. Maybe it's as simple as saying, I really, really want to invite them to Easter service but every time I do, something comes up. Or I just feel like they may, I don't know, maybe our relationship would change if I actually ask him. Most of the time, those things are made up in our head. But if they're legit, just surrender to God and pray over and ask him your way. Because I guarantee you right now, you inviting your friend that doesn't know Jesus to come to Easter is God's call. God wants us to do that. And so pray that he would open up the avenue and speak to you about whatever it may be. Finally, we find in, in chapter 7, the very beginning of chapter 7, it says that Gideon and his army got up early and went. And so we find that what God had called him to, here we see the full action of it. He's going forward. He tore down the, the Asherah pole. That was just step one. But what God had called him to go do in fighting the Midianites, he now takes action to head that direction. Number five on our list is you got to go forward in faithfulness. You're not going to know what the whole path looks like fully. Gideon left with a lot more men than what God would allow him to fight with in the end. You'll read that on your own in chapter seven. But he stepped forward with faithfulness. Listen, church, we have to step forward in faithfulness with every tool God has given at our disposal at this juncture to reach the, the mission and to advance the kingdom of Jesus Christ. We have to advance forward. On the path, he might say, hey, Tom, you don't need that, but go ahead and pick this up. But we walk forward in faithfulness here. Philippians 3, verse 14, Paul writes, I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us. It's so easy to just kind of quit if we don't think we're going to actually be the winner of a race. In fact, I don't know, at our age, some of us were like, I wouldn't even try to race uh, anymore. So there's no chance, right? But Paul reminds us, look, I press on as if I would win the prize. I just press on, full tilt, because... That's what God, that's what Christ 
is calling me to. Here's the takeaway this morning for you. Ask yourself, where am I stuck on the road to making an impact? Where, were you, where are you stuck on those five that we were just walking through this morning? Maybe for you, it, it just has everything to, to do with, with just hearing God's call, and you're still like, I'm just not even sure. Maybe it's like, you're like, I know God's called me to this, but you've never quite understood the concept he's going to go with you and empower you. Maybe you know that. The speech was great. You bought in fully, but you just got freaked out when the first step, uh, when we, you were called up to that first step. And maybe it was like I was tracking, I really was, but this happened. This obstacle, this opposition, I didn't know what to do with it. What does it take for you to, to hit number five? Where are you stuck, ready to go forward with faithfulness? Well, I'm going to pray for you uh, in this area. Next week, we're going to continue this, and we're going to talk more fully about uh, our building and where we're at with that and have plans, that, final plans that, that you can look at and even posters on stage um, uh, for you next week, and we'll continue uh, that. But we're going to pick up the story of Joseph next week when we talk about that. And again, I want to talk about the intro to Joseph and leave the rest for you to work through on your own. So would you bow and pray with me? Father, I, I really believe our desire is to make an impact. And I believe that there's, there's some here, Lord, that they've just been stuck in the process somewhere along the way. And I pray this morning that we would take your word in the story of Gideon and that we would be impacted as we work through our sermon notes and our own devotion time and that you would tell us clearly where we're hung up, where we're stuck. And Father, you would, you would call us and drive us and empower us to keep moving in the process. I pray for, for every person, that, especially those who are, are not accustomed to being in devotions or being in your word, that, that being in chapter 7 this week and seeing what you actually do with Gideon the rest of the way, that that would be empowering and encouraging to recognize that it doesn't take a huge army when it's with you, Lord. It can take a small number and you can accomplish your purposes. I believe the same is true, Lord, for this church. A small church of 165, 170 can still make a significant impact. But Father, it takes a significant answering to your calling. Raise us up to that on every level, Lord, we pray. In your son's name, amen. Well, amen. Well, I hope you enjoy this, uh, this great sunny day. The weather, I think, is wonderful to be out. I hope the Lord gives you opportunities like right away to share with somebody, speak with somebody, or maybe just simply invite somebody along. You are welcome to take as many of those little cards uh, as you like along with you. We actually have a box of other ones. So if, you, if that's a tool that's helpful for you, please, by all means, use that uh, this week. Now's the time, really, to start inviting people this early um, before they, they uh, have some other plans or such. So if you do that, that'd be great. Well, we're going to invite our ushers to come and take our, our morning offering uh, our tithes, our offering, our building pledges. As always, uh, if you come in the morning, you're like, I don't even carry a checkbook or even know what that is, you are always welcome to use our online system at windoverhills.org. Just click online giving, and you can do all the same stuff that way uh, as well. So let me invite our ushers to come forward, receive our morning offering. And if you would, would you stand with me? And we'll invite the praise team to lead us out singing. <laughs>